0: Keep your place there in Philippians chapter 3. So, let me ask you this question. Why is the resurrection so important to Christians? Very good question. Tony Campolo once told a story that happened at a rescue mission. He said there was a man named Joe who would come to this mission, He was a drunk, he was rowdy, he was difficult, everyone knew his lifestyle until one day, Joe got saved. He became a believer. And from that moment on, Joe's life was radically changed. He began to serve people at the mission. He would spend his extra time hanging out at the mission, eventually coming back to just be a servant and a worker. And Campolo says that Joe's presence was so known around this mission that it made an impact on the people that were coming. Well, one night, the mission director is standing up preaching a message to all the men that are gathered. And One man, down and out, comes to the front of the mission, gets on his knees, grabs the director, and begins to pray, Oh, Lord, make me like Joe. Joe, again, is the man who had been changed. Lord, make me like Joe, he prayed over and over again. Make me like Joe. Make me like Joe to finally the director whispers in his ear, Son, don't you think it would be better for you to say, Make me like Jesus? And Campolo says, The man looks up quizzically at the director of the mission and honestly asks, Is he like Joe? That's a great question. I mean, what that story illustrates is why the resurrection matters to believers. I'm gonna tell you that some people, they wanna try to give you all these reasons of evidence, and that's good, there's nothing wrong with that. They'll tell you, well, you know, there were 500 people that saw Jesus resurrected, and there were eyewitnesses, and that's all true, but you don't know those eyewitnesses. I mean, how do you know they didn't live in Waco? You don't know who they are. You don't know if they're crazy or not, and so, since you've never met them, That's not very convincing to me. I mean, I could stand up here and look, when I went to Israel in in 1999, I'm going to be honest, I stole a piece of the rock that they said is where Jesus potentially could have been buried. I'm a thief. Uh, I admit it. I'm a sinner. I've never said I'm not. And so I took a piece of that rock, and somehow I got it through customs, and I got it home. And I've still got it. And I guess I could take that piece of rock and I could say to you, look here, here's the rock. See, this is the tomb where, where Jesus was buried. But that's, that's not convincing, I don't think. We could give all these different arguments. But I'm going to tell you the most convincing thing that proves the resurrection is changed lives. And some of you sitting in here today who have been changed by the power of the resurrection, you are the greatest example and the biggest testimony of the power of God and what he can accomplish. And so I'm not going to try to give you the story. I'm not going to try to give you evidence. I'm going to take you to a man who himself was radically changed. And I want you to hear what his ambition and life goal was now that he was a believer. And it's the ambition and the life goal of every one of us. If we are in Christ, the resurrection should change us. And if the resurrection has not changed you, then friend, you've not been spiritually resurrected by Jesus Christ. And our hope today is that you hear the good news that you can be spiritually resurrected by the power of Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the people at a place called Philippi. And he's just finished telling us about Jesus and about his life and about his things that he pursued. And he gets to chapter 3, and there's two verses. Go ahead and open it up. And if you have the outline that we give out, you can follow along with me. And what he does is he just simply says in these two verses, this is essentially how the resurrection has changed me. And this is what I want to pursue for the rest of my life. This is how the resurrection has changed me. And this is what I want to pursue for the rest of my life. So what I want you to see from what he says, I want you to see four ways the resurrection changes the life of believers. Now notice I said change and I said believers. The resurrection doesn't change everybody Until it's appropriated by faith. It doesn't change everybody until they come in obedience to Jesus Christ. I want to be very, very clear with you. Some of you, the resurrection in no way has changed you. And maybe you know that. Maybe other people know that. And you're honest about that. But I want to tell you how the resurrection changes believers. Now, notice the very first thing, the way the resurrection changes believers. First thing I want you to see here in the text. It changes the believer's relationship. It changes the believer's relationship. Notice how Paul puts it in verse 10 of our text. He says that I may know Him. You see that there in the text? I mean, right off, the resurrection changes my relationship with God. He's not a distant God. He's not just Creator God. He's not a nameless God. I want to know Him. Now, isn't that odd that the Apostle Paul said he wanted to know God, know Christ to the Philippians? Now, you got to understand the irony here. Paul is the one who brought the gospel to these people, So, for him to say to them in a letter, I want to know him, if I were in the Philippi church, I would have stopped and said, wait, 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 you're saying he doesn't know Christ? I mean, he's the guy that taught us all about Jesus Christ. If he doesn't know Jesus, how can we know Jesus? And that's a very good question. What does he mean when he says, I want to know him? Well, what he doesn't mean is the way we understand the word know most commonly, and that is I just want to study him. You see, we use that word know, and a lot of times we mean I'm going to know something through observing, through study, through memorization, through empirical evidence, and that's not the know that Paul is talking about right here. Says, I want to know him, but I'm not talking about just knowledge of him empirically. I'm not talking about data. And then there's there's other people who say, Oh, I know what it is. It's knowing through experience, isn't it? No, he's not saying I, I want to know through some experience that would happen to me. No, the word know here is is used in this sense in the word intimacy. Intimacy. I'll give you a verse of Scripture where the same word was used. Genesis 4-1, Adam knew his wife Eve, and they conceived a son. Now, when you understand, okay, Genesis 4-1 uses the same word. Adam knew intimately his wife Eve, and they conceived a son. What do you think he's talking about here? He's saying, I want to intimately personally know Jesus Christ because the resurrection has changed my relationship with Almighty God. It has enabled me to have this kind of intimacy with Christ. So I want you to know that if you're a believer today, the resurrection has changed your relationship with Christ in such a way that number one, you now have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I hope you take advantage of that. I mean, I am amazed. Every morning, I get up by the grace of God. Some days happy, some days grumpy. But I get up, thank God for coffee. I walk into the sunroom that is our favorite room in the house. And we have the couches set up. And, And my wife knows this. My kids know this. I go in that room. I shut the glass doors. And I just begin to pray to the Lord. And I begin to read his scripture. And what am I doing? I am in a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. I'm in a personal relationship with almighty God. I have the privilege of going into his presence. Now, that might seem strange to some of you. I know in, in 2005, when Amanda and I went over with North Point to Italy on an international mission trip, we were in Rome and we toured the Vatican. And while we were in the Vatican, I saw one of the most interesting things. They had priests set up in booths around a, a portion of the Vatican. And these priests, priests were all different languages of all the earth. And they had lines of people that were going up to these booths and they were confessing their sins trying to get intimate with God. Because their teaching is that you have to have a priest to come before God essentially. And I thought as I saw all those people going up to those priests and going up to those booths, I don't have to stand in that line. I've got a great high priest who is Jesus Christ. I can meet him every morning freely in Jesus' name. And so I walk into the presence of Almighty God, into the throne room of God. I mean, if you don't believe this, read Hebrews. So what the whole book of Hebrews is about. Jesus is greater. He's our high priest. He's entered into the most holy place. We have intimacy with God through Jesus Christ, a personal relationship. We know him. But I want to tell you something else that's beautiful about this intimacy. Is not only do we know him, he knows us. One of the promises in the Old Testament of a new covenant is he says you will be my people and I'm reversing the order here but I will be your God. The God of the universe has put his favor on undeserving me And if you're a believer, the God of the universe has put His undeserving goodness and favor on you. He is your God. I will be their God. They will be my people. All the promises of God are yours in Christ Jesus. All the attributes of God are yours in Christ Jesus. All the blessings of God are yours through Christ Jesus. The old Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said, Are any of you poor and you have nothing? Your father, your God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And he he has it all for you. Even if you have nothing in this life. Spurgeon literally said this, Every attribute of God belongs to his people. All that God is. All that he can be. All that you can imagine. All that the angels have. All that heaven is. All that belongs to you if you are in covenant with God through Jesus Christ is yours. How rich, how blessed you are. You see, he's your God. And Paul says, this is now the ambition of my life. I've been resurrected spiritually. I want to know him. My relationship has changed. Has your relationship changed? It's a very good question, isn't it? Let's look at number two. How does the resurrection change believers. How does it change us? Well, number one, it changes our relationship with God. We now intimately know Him. We don't just know about Him, we know Him. But number two, it changes the believer's desires. It changes the believer's desires. Now, notice how he puts it in verse 10. So, I want to know Him intimately and the power of Of his resurrection. Now, before you misunderstand what he's saying there, let's explain it a little bit. What is the power of Christ's resurrection? How could we know that power that conquered death and raised a decaying body out of a grave? Well, this is what Paul wants to know, and he believes that he can press on, he can seek this. He can attain this. Now the power is the power over sin. The power over sin. It's interesting because in the world where Paul lived, there were three powers. You had the Jewish people, and they valued their heritage above all things, their lineage. You had the Greeks, and they valued wisdom above all all things, Sophia, wisdom. And then you had the Romans who valued power, the Jews' heritage, the Greeks' wisdom, the Romans' power, and the Romans would rule by power. They would rule by force. They would enslave a third of their population, power. But what Paul is saying is the second greatest power in the world is not Rome, the second greatest power in the world is sin. And Christ is the greatest power in all the universe, and he has the power to conquer sin and death, which is the greatest power. So it's like this. I brought this little illustration. I hope this works. I seldom do this because nothing like this ever works. You know, it's always a disaster. I love pins, I am a pin. Snob, Miss Keena knows this about me. She knows I only like certain pens to write with. No cheap pen will do. So I like these old-fashioned. I don't know if you can see this, but this is the old-fashioned kind, like you know they would have written with hundreds of years ago. The uh, the the tip pen, and I get these tip pens, and I. Uh, this is an Easterbrook, which apparently president signed documents into law with this, this company's pen. And you get the ink, you get the bottle of ink, and you dip it in, and it has a little thing you turn. It sucks out the ink, and it presses it in. It's, it's fun. And about every other night, my family knows, I write in a journal... I keep the old-fashioned handwritten journal. I like to write in it. I talk about everything that happens to me throughout the week. So if we've ever had a conversation, one day my kids are gonna read about it. If we ever if anything ever happened, one day they're gonna know. My kids are like, Dad, why are you writing all this? I'm like, it's like Gerald Ford, write it, you know, tell it when I'm gone. When I'm gone, you're gonna read all this and you're gonna know what was happening. And you're going to at least uh, have a record, and this is dad's gift to you. I didn't write anything personal, but I'm just telling about my day. So I like to sit down at night, and I just sit, and I like to write in these journals. And so you, you take this ink bottle here, and you look at it, and, you know, it's very clean on the outside. And this is the way most people falsely see salvation, They think, yeah, you know, if we can just clean up the outside of our life externally and look good, then we're all okay. If we come to church at Easter, if we dress up, if we, you know, join a church, try to live a good life, outwardly we're clean. But what if I went to one of my kids and I opened this bottle of ink that will stain everything it touches? And I said, I-, I want you to drink the ink in this bottle. Landon, don't ever do this. I want you to drink the, the ink in this bottle. And my kids say, uh, but dad, it's not clean. And I say, of course it is. Of course it is. It's clean on the outside. No, dad, it's the contents that matter on the inside And in the same way, can I say to you that the resurrection is not about cleaning up your outside. The resurrection is about cleaning up the inside. And the glorious truth of the resurrection is that Jesus came to cleanse you from the inside out. And if that hasn't happened, then you don't know the power of the resurrection. What is the power of the resurrection? The power over sin. My greatest problem in life is my desires. My greatest problem in life are the lust of my heart. But the promise of the resurrection is that Jesus came to change my desires. He came to change my lusts. One preacher said it like this. Do you wish that you could be saved so that you would get out of hell? Oh, I wish that you would say you wanted to be saved so that you could be free from the power of your sin. I wish that you would say that you would be saved so that no longer lust would have dominion over you and your desires would change the inside of the inkwell. You see, that's what has to happen. That's the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection is that Mark Livingston was dirty on the inside. Jesus came and put his spirit within me. And I became his people. He became my God. He put his law in my heart. Now, the power of sin is broken. The power of sin is broken. I am no longer a slave to sin. I'm a child of God. The power of sin is gone. I'm free in Christ Jesus. Now the presence of sin is still here. But the power is gone for the believer. Have your desires changed? Well, let's go to number three. How does the resurrection change a believer? Well, number one, it changes our relationship. Number two, it changes our desires. Number three, it changes our very identity. Our identity is changed. Notice how Paul says it here. He says, and I may share his sufferings. Do you see that in verse 10? I may share his sufferings. What does he mean by that? Does he mean that he wants to suffer for sin? No. Only Jesus could suffer for sin. So what does he mean? He means, I have been so changed as a person that I now want to identify with Jesus in every aspect. And if that means that I have to suffer because he suffers, if that means I'm mistreated because he's mistreated, if that means I'm rejected because he's rejected, then that's what I want to be. I want to identify with Jesus Christ. There's a beautiful story of a saint. And this person is a saint. They came to Christ when they were newly married. And their life was so radically changed by the gospel that their spouse, who was not a believer, basically gave an ultimatum, stay with Christ or stay with me. And this person made the decision To stay with Jesus Christ. And the spouse left. And this person was single and childless for the rest of their life. And God used this dear saint, who is a member of Broadway, and she's not able to be here today. God used this dear saint to eventually share the gospel with her mean, wayward husband to bring him into the love and joy of Jesus Christ. Now, that's suffering. See, that's somebody that says, I want to share in his sufferings. If that means that I lose what I have in this world, if that means I lose the comfort and and the things that I thought would bring me happiness, I want to share in his sufferings. You know, we got a lot of people today in marriage, they're like, I'm suffering, I want out, and this person was saying, I will suffer for Jesus. What a difference. So it's going to be that way with us. 2 Timothy 3.12 says that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You're going to be persecuted. The world hates Jesus. Now, everybody on the street can say, oh, we like him. They like their version of him. They don't know the Jesus of Scripture. They hate the Jesus of Scripture. The world loves darkness rather than light. Men love darkness rather than light. And when you identify with the risen Christ, you will suffer in his name. But let me give you some encouragement. That suffering is not going to be to your detriment. It is going to strengthen you. It is going to give you endurance. It's going to strengthen me. And it's going to draw us closer to Jesus Christ. So identify with him. Do you identify with him? Many of us identify with the world. We are not willing to stand up upon the truths of Scripture, even though we're sitting in this room today. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people who claim the name of Jesus, they're embarrassed about the teachings of Scripture and they're deconstructing their faith and they're walking out and they're denying what was clearly said in Scripture over the culture and pleasing the culture and pleasing the world and making their their bosses and their companies and their corporations happy and I'm going to tell you, if you are going to be in Christ Jesus, you got to identify with Him and be proud. You want to be proud about something? Be proud about Jesus and just identify with him and say it is what it is you want to arrest me you want to kill me you want to burn me at the stake like they did John Huss in the 1300s burn me at the stake because I identify with Christ Jesus you see that's the power of the resurrection that's what happened to every apostle and disciple they were all martyred for their faith One of the greatest proofs of the resurrection is that these people who were fishermen and uneducated peasants stood to death because something radically changed their life. Chuck Colson, who went to prison, who was Nixon's aide, who became a believer in prison, said definitively, people don't die for a lie. People have said, oh, they knew it was a lie. No, people don't die for a lie. They don't go to jail for a lie. They don't, they don't stand ultimately for a lie. Colson said using Watergate, I know lies. I know how people caved while we lied. And I'm here to tell you nobody's going to die for a lie. Well, this wasn't a lie. It was the resurrection. Amen. Let's go to number four. Number four and we're done. So, the power of the resurrection. Why do we celebrate the resurrection? It changes the believer's life. How does it change the believer's life? It changes our relationship, that I may know him. It changes our desires, the power of his resurrection. It changes our identity, that I may fellowship in his sufferings. And, finally, it changes our very purpose. Our very purpose. Look again. He says in verse 11... Now, this is going to take a little explanation, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, that is not the best way it should be translated, but to translate it literally, it would not make much sense. It would be very choppy. And so you know that your Bible is translated either from Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek. And any time you translate, there's always something lost in translation in any language. Literally what this reads, because you might look at this verse and say, well, now was Paul saying that he was not a believer and he hoped to become a believer? Or he hoped that he would not lose his salvation? No, not at all. That's not what this is saying. I mean, this same apostle is the one who in this very letter in Philippians 1.6 said that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I mean, this same apostle was the one who wrote Romans 8.38 that said nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing, not angels, not principalities, not powers, not rulers of darkness. So it wouldn't make any sense for us to look at this and say, yeah, this means that he thinks he can lose his salvation. No, this was a guy who preached anything but that. So what does it mean? Well, when you read it literally, the word attain means I want to come or I want to arrive. And then the word resurrection there in verse 11 is different from the word resurrection in verse 10. There is a preposition and I don't want to bore you with all this, but there's the preposition ek, which means to stand up or stand out, that's in front of the word resurrection in the Greek language. So when you read this literally, he's saying that by any means possible, I can come to the place where I stand up, stand out with the resurrection among the dead. In other words, he's saying I want to be the living spiritually among the dying who are dead in their trespasses and sins. So when I go to my office, I want to be among the living. When I go to school, I want to be among the living. When I come to church and there's lost people around me, they're dead spiritually, I want to be at this place in my life where I'm standing up and I'm standing out for Christ as an example of the power of the resurrection. Because these people, when they viewed death, they viewed a person lying down. James Boyce says, when they viewed death, they looked at a person lying down. But in this sense, Paul was saying, I don't want to be spiritually resurrected lying down. I want to be spiritually resurrected standing up among the dead. So in all the the world, I want to be somebody living. So for the Christian, this means that our very purpose, our very life should be an example of how Christ changed us. Have you ever seen anybody changed by the power of the resurrection? I think back to one of the best examples in Amanda and I's life in the the church. When we served over in Arkansas, there was a man, and uh, Mark and Lori, if you're here, you remember This man, you remember his name. There was a man named Johnny Riley that attended our church. And I never knew Johnny Riley apart from Christ, but he was an older man who had come to faith in Christ later in his life. And everybody said, man, this guy's life was radically changed. Now, before Johnny Riley became a Christian, he was in what was known as the Hillbilly Mafia. Now, you didn't know that that existed, but it's in Arkansas. Arkansas. And, uh, Brother Jerry, are you part of that? Aren't you from Arkansas, Hillbilly Mafia? And, uh, and Johnny Riley told me, Hey, Brother, if anybody messes with my pastor, you you come to me, and I'll get em. And I said, Well, Johnny, you know, we got to have the love of Jesus. But um, you can extend the right hand of fellowship like this. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But uh, he, he, he was sincere. And, and, and there were people that were after the new pastor. And he sat them down in the love of Jesus and explained things more fully to them. And they weren't a problem anymore. And he meant it when he said, if anybody bothers you, you come get Johnny Riley because Jesus saved my soul and I love you. And so this man had just been radically changed from the hillbilly mafia to Jesus Christ. And that's beautiful. Maybe you know somebody. Maybe you are somebody like Johnny Riley where you would say, I was radically changed by the power of the gospel. But can I give you another example that's not so radical from sin? Let me give you an example from righteousness. Yeah, that's right. I said that. From righteousness. Let me give you an example of a guy who had to understand that Even though he was a really good person, his works were filthy rags. His name was Paul. I mean, right before the Apostle Paul writes what he writes to us here in verses 10 and 11, if you just scan back up to chapter 3 and you just read it, he says uh, right there in verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, I mean, if anybody thinks they have reason to be confident in who they are, I've got more confidence. I mean, you want to know about me? Man, I was really good. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I belonged to one of the best tribes of Benjamin. As for the law, I was a Pharisee. I was zealous. Nobody could keep it better than I could keep it. I was the best person I knew. But he comes to this place in his life where the resurrection convicts him that it's not just the power to change really bad people and make them good the resurrection changes really religious arrogant people and makes them saved and maybe that's some of you i mean maybe you're like paul and you say you know i've grown up in the church and i've been a really good person and i've done a lot of good things and you know what paul said i count all that as dung as dung donkey dung for the sake of knowing christ yeah that's the word he used And I'm being nice there, but that's the literal wording. I count it all as dung for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus. And I'll tell you this, I'm not looking back at who I used to be. I'm pressing forward, he says. I'm pressing forward to lay hold of the prize which is in Jesus Christ. All the things I did do not matter. So let me just say to you, the purpose of your life should have changed with the power of the resurrection. It doesn't matter how bad you were. And let me say this, it doesn't matter how good you were. The resurrection brings us to the place to say, whatever I was, it doesn't matter. I want to be the living among the spiritually dead. I want to be walking around, standing up, standing out, showing that Jesus resurrected my heart and my life. This is why the resurrection matters to us. Because it's everything. You see, it's our relationship. It's our desires that have been changed. It's our identity. It's our purpose. And so we say with the early saints, He is risen. And what do we say, church? He has risen indeed. Would you just bow your heads where you are for just a moment? And would you just take a moment, and if you are in Christ Jesus and you belong to Him, let me just urge you to thank Him on this Resurrection Sunday and say, Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for saving me. And then ask this question of the Lord. Father, how how has the resurrection changed me, impacted me, moved me in my life? How is it going to change me when I walk out of here? And maybe you're here today and you say, I've never been changed that way. I've never understood the resurrection and I've never been changed. Can I just tell you, there's a beautiful promise in Scripture that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. If you just have faith and trust in Christ, it's not complicated, it's simple, but it's profound. All you have to do where you are is call out and say, it's not my righteousness anymore, it's not even my wickedness, my hope and my trust is in Christ alone. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you that he has saved wretches like us. And so, Father, today as we celebrate the resurrection, we rejoice, we walk out of here, hopefully changed people. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.